The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Lord. Glory to you, Lord Christ. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> I mean, not only is it is it in this uh, this minor is, is it the minor key jump or does it just sound like it? Yeah. And, 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 and thy strong word did cleave the darkness, low on those who dwelt in darkness, dark as night and deep as death. Wow. And then our, our colleagues. Set us free, O oh God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you made known to us, our, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The bondage of our sins. We've got bondage, we've got darkness. Is it really that bad? Yeah, actually it is. Um, and it's really important that we understand that it's that bad. There's a point Paul's trying to make here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's about to go on a tear in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, but the very first thing he has to say is this, I pass on to you what I received as of first importance. Paul's writing this to a church that is, as we've discussed before, in all kinds of mess. But Paul is writing this just a, a couple of decades after the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, and I passed on to you what I received as of first importance. What Paul is saying is, I am passing on the very earliest traditions of the church, the very core of our confession as Christians. The simplest one, of course, is Jesus is Lord. That's the, the very first one. But we have, in, in different places in the New Testament, a few places 
especially in Paul's letters, and here's one of them. This place where we find a, a, a kernel of the very earliest testimony of the church to who Jesus was and is and what he has done. So when he says, I passed on to you what I received, he's, he's using technical language there. He's saying, this is something that was delivered to me and I'm now handing it on to you. And this is of, of first importance. In fact, the, the order of the Greek is, I passed on to you of first importance what I received. So this is really important. And here's what's really important. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he really died. He was buried. You don't bury somebody who's not dead. He really died. And then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul goes on and talks about the evidences of that, all the different people that, that, that saw him risen. But this is, this is key, Paul says. You've got to get that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures on the third day. There are a couple other spots in Paul's letters where he gives this, this kernel. One, I want to point two of them out very quickly. One is in 2 Corinthians, which... Uh, where, where Paul says uh, in, in uh, chapter 5, he says that we are Christ's ambassadors because he's committed to us a message of reconciliation. And here is the message of reconciliation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against him. That God was in Christ reconciling the world, the cosmos, everything to himself not counting people's sins against them. And his letter to the Colossians, he says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, every time we find this reconciliation language, which is what God is about. He's about this program of cosmic reconciliation. But whenever we find this reconciliation language, we also find the cross. Because it's on the cross that sin is dealt with. And sin is the root of the problem. Which is why in dealing with all of the problems we have in creation, we have to start by dealing with sin. You don't believe me. If you go back to Genesis, all the way back, and read the story of the first people, and they're in the garden, you can read this as actual people, and you can read this as a, a metaphor for Israel being in the promised land, being given Torah, you can read this as, as a universal human experience. However you read it, the story makes the same point, which is that people were given by God everything they needed including instructions on how to experience everything they needed. They were given prosperity and peace and health and, and each other. But they were also given commands as to what they should and should not do. And they chose to disobey. That is sin at its heart, is rebellion against God, disobedience, an unwillingness to let God be God. It's an insistence on our part that we be the one to get to call the shots. And the result of this sin 
woman, God says, I will make your pains of childbearing very severe with pain when you give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Now let's be clear. God isn't saying that Adam should not have ever listened to his wife. Just as one time it was a bad thing. Usually, good idea. But this time not. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, when, when we think about the fall of humankind, this story, usually our, our, our minds go back first to the, that scene, that ridiculous scene, where Adam and Eve are trying to hide from God. And God's like, hey, where are you? And some people read that and they're like, oh, well, this tells us that God is not omniscient. No, have you ever played hide and seek with a three-year-old? Their feet are sticking out behind the couch and they say, where are you? And you know exactly where they, God knew exactly where they were. But they, they are ashamed. Their, their relationship with God, which had been whole, which had been attacked, has been broken by their disobedience. They're, they're aware that they have screwed up. The very first thing they do is they cover themselves up. Initially, they were naked and unashamed. They were completely vulnerable to one another. They had nothing to hide. And then all of a sudden, their mirrors hadn't been invented yet, but if they had had one, they would have been horrified. And so... They, their, their consciences have been violated. They, they realize that they've not done the things they're supposed to do, and, and the things they're not supposed to do, they have done that very thing. But, but sin has bigger dimensions than just your relationship with God and, and, and how you feel about yourself. We find dysfunction in human relationships brought in where you have this strange command, that, uh, this strange uh, uh, curse that God gives to the woman. You're, you're, on the one hand, you're going to be drawn to, to this person. On the other hand, uh, you're going to be in, in, a, in a strange power relationship with him. That's not going to be right. And then to, to, to Adam, to, to the man, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. This is the introduction of economic scarcity into the picture. This is things not being the way they're supposed to be. I mean, God did put the people in the garden to work and to keep it. They, there's work to be done, but it wouldn't have been toilsome, back-breaking work. It would have been work that was satisfying, work that was productive, work that, that, they, that they would have, have done with, with joy. And instead, God says, now you are going to grind yourself down to the very dust you came from. And he said... On the day of Edom, the, the day you eat of this fruit, you shall die. The serpent said, you're not going to die. No. Mortality enters the picture at this point. They're driven from the garden. They no longer have access to the tree of life. All of this comes about because of sin. And we even get a picture of that in our gospel lesson today. Where the the, uh, Simon is out on his boat, probably would have been his brother Andrew's boat too, and, 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 and Jesus says, look, i got to talk to all these people, let me hop in your boat, row out a little ways, and kind of how you did crowd control back then, I guess, and, and, and after he's done, and Jesus says, well, how about we catch some fish? 
And Simon says, um, actually, we were up all night trying to catch fish, and we didn't. So that's part of thorns and thistles. That's part of toilsome labor. That's when you try to get something done. Have you ever had a day where you left the office and you're like, not only did I get a bunch of other things dumped on me today, I didn't get a single thing done that I needed to get done. I see a lot of people nodding their heads, many of you having been in the military. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, never, never happens in the church. <laughs> but you know, you, you spend all this time and energy, and you've got nothing to show for it. And that's what Simon Peter says to Jesus. He's like, "Well, actually, you know, we, we, we did try that all night, which is the time, by the way, when the fish are jumping. Right? You, the, the reason that, that they're washing their nets in the daytime is because there's no point using them trying to catch fish in the daytime, because that's not when you catch fish." And so Jesus says, hey, why don't you go throw the net over? And he's like, how about I tell you how to do carpentry? <laughs> right? Like, that's your thing. You know that. I know fishing. He's like, fine. Whatever. And he does. <laughs> and he catches all this. To the point where he has to get his, his friends, uh, James and John, to come and help him out. And even then, both of the boats are sinking. Now, Jesus, I think, was trying to make a point here. And it does go all the way back to that early Genesis story. Who, who is it who makes the fishes? God. Right? Just by the way, if, if I ask a question and you don't know the answer, <laughs> Jesus is a good guess. <laughs> so God made all the fishes. He made the water. And, and, and now, basically, Jesus is saying, hey, look what happened when I told you to go and take something out of this water that I made. You got some of these fishes that I made, too. And the fact is that these confessions that we have, these statements like Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, these are utterly absurd. If Jesus is not who he says he is, if Jesus can't back this up, then he's just one more in a long line would-be Messiahs that the Roman Empire end up on a cross to try to encourage people not to be so rebellious. But Jesus could back them up. He did back them up with his miraculous life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection. And that's the point that Paul is going to go on with for the rest of chapter 15. And so this is, my friends, the message that we proclaim as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and having been really and truly dead, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That doesn't mean that doesn't entail other things, that there are, there are plenty of other things that we can say and should say, but this is what's most important. And so that's why we do every week what we're about to do again. We stand up and we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. The, the, the basic core, core confession of our faith that the church has held to for most of its history. And so I invite you to do that with me now. We stand as we do. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, 
ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The prayers of the people. 